Turn with me in God's Word to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Last week we finished a little series on the Beatitudes, and we're continuing then in the Sermon on the Mount to this next section being salt and light. So Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to read these verses 13 to 16. So listen, this is God's Word. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house." Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. May God bless to us the reading of his word. Well, I want you to imagine that you are on trial. You're in the courtroom. You're in the dock. And you're being examined, and they are looking for evidence to convict you. And the charge is that of being a Christian. Would there be enough evidence to convict you? And what evidence would be considered admissible in court? Is it the fact that you go to church? Well, lots of people go to church, and yet they're not believers. They simply go out of tradition, or because of family loyalty, or because they like the people at church. Would it be the fact that you are a decent person? You have a great reputation with people. Well, there are lots of kind people out there who are not believers in Christ. Well, is it because you're generous with your time or with your money? Again, that doesn't make you a Christian. There are lots of generous people who have no interest in Christianity. So what would be the evidence that would prove you are a Christian? Well, in our passage tonight, we see the evidence is, in fact, that you are salt and that you are light. You are salt of the earth, the light of the world, because Christ is both salt and light. And therefore, in him, you are preserving this world from sin, and you are shining the truth of Christ into this world. And so, children, I encourage you to draw a picture of a lighthouse on the coast, giving light to the ships, preventing them from crashing onto the rocks, And likewise, boys and girls, you are to be a light in the darkness, guiding people to Christ, the ultimate light. So firstly, Jesus is talking to you, his disciples. So we've completed our study in the Beatitudes, and it'd be wrong to see the rest of the Sermon on the Mount as a random group of wise sayings by Jesus. No, the Beatitudes, they operate as the foundation of who we are as Christians, The rest of the Sermon on the Mount helps to flesh this out. The beatitude we considered last week was, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The world will react to you in a negative way, whether it's physical persecution or whether it's verbal persecution, where you're told to be quiet. Both are real and both are happening. And I wonder if your reaction to that beatitude last Sunday 
was the desire to simply batten down the hatches, remove yourself from this world, to hide and not provoke an attack. That's certainly my temptation. However, Jesus knows that, and that's why he goes straight away into calling us to not hide away and instead be salt and be light. You are to be an influence for good in this world. Maybe you're thinking, well, that's for someone else. That's for those extroverted Christians who are bold and don't care what others think. That's for those who have it all figured out. They are intelligent. They have their theology straight. Or that's for Christians who have accomplished much, but I'm barely getting through a day. Let's remember who Jesus is originally talking to. It's to his disciples while the crowd listened on. And they're not impressive men. They're mostly fishermen. And then there's this hated tax collector. And there's also a zealot who was a politically motivated terrorist of that time. These men were nobodies. So Jesus, he's not speaking at the G7 summit. He's not speaking at a IU graduation ceremony where he's speaking to a group of newly graduated young people. He's not at Davos talking to the World Economic Forum. In our eyes, we look to the rich and we look to the powerful to be the movers and shakers of the world. But Jesus is speaking specifically to 12 men here and he's telling them that they are the salt of the earth. They are the light of the world. They are the ones who are to have an influence for good in this world. However, it's not that these 12 men in and of themselves are going to change the world. No, it's because of the Beatitudes. And so they are crucial for us to understand how these disciples are to be salt and light. The Beatitudes are a description of those who recognize their sin. And that's why they are poor in spirit. That's why they mourn. That's why they're meek. They are men who recognize that they need a righteousness apart from themselves and that they need mercy from God. And so Jesus sees these men not for their status in society, but for who they are in Christ. They are blessed, for they are sons of God. They belong to God's kingdom. They have been filled with righteousness. And so they are no ordinary men, for they are Christ's disciples. They belong to Christ's kingdom, greater and more powerful than any other kingdom here on this earth. It would be to these disciples that Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And it is an emphatic you, it's you and you alone. Nobody else will do it. God is calling these men from a backwater town in Israel to be an influence, not just in Israel, but to the whole world. And these men would have a huge influence, many traveling across the Roman Empire declaring the gospel. This calling is not just for these 12 men, but it's to all of Christ's disciples, to all who know the blessings of the Beatitudes. You are salt and light. Now, in World War I, Lord Kitchener was the British War Secretary, and he was used to encourage the nation, the British nation, to get involved in the war effort. And so often he was put on posters with the motto, your country needs you. I think in the U.S. you guys use Uncle Sam that was portrayed in the posters. Well, I encourage you to see something similar in this calling that Christ is giving to you 
and to all his disciples. And so what is he telling you to do? Secondly, you are the salt of the earth. You are to restrain evil. So Jesus tells you, you are the salt of the earth. And this is not a command. It's simply a statement of fact. He's not urging you to become something you are not. He is telling you that since you are part of his kingdom, you are salt of the earth. Now, salt has somewhat lost its importance compared to Jesus' day. But remember, at that time, they had no fridges, they had no freezers. There was no way to keep food fresh. It was a hot and dry climate, and so food perished very quickly. Meat especially didn't last long, and so they used salt to preserve the meat to prevent it from becoming rotten. And fishermen from Galilee, they would have been very familiar with salt, for they sold their fish across the empire, and it was salt that enabled them to do this. And so the salt preserved the fish so it became a valuable commodity. And in a similar way, you are to act as a preservative in this world. And that implies something about the world. The world is in decline, morally and spiritually. It cannot stop itself from going bad. John Stott writes, the world decays like rotten fish or rotten meat, while the church can hinder its decay. And don't we see this all around us? The world is becoming more and more broken. There is confusion, even over simple things like that God has defined. God has defined marriage, and yet man in his wisdom is redefining marriage. God has created man male and female, and yet man again is tinkering with that. We see addictions, especially to drugs and to gambling that are out of control. It's a crisis in our nation. But rather than stop it, we see it's being encouraged. The devastating effects are simply being ignored. And there are so many ways where we see God's laws that used to represent the laws of the land being removed. And instead, new laws that are evil are being put in its place. The world is deteriorating, and yet we are called to be salt in this earth. So how do we be salt in the world that we live in? Well, simply, our very presence as Christ's disciples will make an impact. There is an initiative in Belfast called Street Pastors, and this is a group of Christian men and women who go around at night to be a support to those who are out at the pubs and the clubs. They are a listening ear. They help people get home at night. They lift bottles to prevent anyone harming themselves. They are effective because they can neutralize the situation preventing it from escalating out of control. And so the police are very supportive of this work that they do. They are achieving something that the police cannot do themselves. Now, I'm not saying that we are to become street pastors, but I hope you see that your very presence is an influence and it makes an impact. You can prevent things getting worse. Your example at work, when you work hard, when you're honest and punctual, when you have a good attitude, when you encourage and when you don't encourage office politics or gossip about your colleagues, that will affect others in your work. Children in school, you set an example when you obey your teachers, when you listen 
when you work hard, when you play your sport with good conduct. And not only are you to be a good example, your speech should also be salty. Paul says this in Colossians 4, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So Paul speaks of both being gracious in your speech, but also your speech being seasoned with salt. Now, salt is used as a preservative, as I said, in ancient days, but it is also used as an antiseptic. So in the same way that salt prevents meat from rotting by killing the bacteria, salt was also useful in healing wounds by preventing infection. But as you can imagine, it will sting when applied. And so in being salt of the earth, that will mean being willing to say something that might hurt. We use the phrase, the truth hurts. And as salt, you at times have to be willing to do that. Paul speaks, also speaks of speaking the truth in love. And so out of love, be ready to speak the truth into people's lives. And this may mean giving advice to a couple who are having marriage issues. Maybe it's keeping people accountable by being willing to ask how much they're drinking or what they're watching online. A simple encouragement, a word spoken, can be effective. Another aspect of being salt is speaking to our state and federal government when there is legislation that is contrary to God's law. You are to speak up. You are to let your representative know about it. John Stott says, when society does go bad, we Christians, we tend to throw up our hands in pious horror and reproach the non-Christian world. But should we not rather reproach ourselves? One can hardly blame unsalted meat for going bad. It cannot do anything else. The real question to ask is, where is the salt? Ted Donnelly in his sermon says, you need to be in close contact with others. Salt is no good in the salt cellar, but taken and rubbed into the meat. We are too keen to stay in the salt cellar where we cannot exert our influence. No, our calling is to be out in this world. A favorite Christmas movie for many is It's a Wonderful Life. And while the theology may not be 100% correct, we do see the effect of a good man, George Bailey. You get to see the influence that he had in the town of Bedford Falls. If George Bailey had never been born, we see Bedford Falls transformed into Pottersville, where evil Mr. Potter has control over everything. From a happy, picturesque town, it has decayed to become the seedy, unhappy, and deprived town. A world without Christianity would be a rotten society. And so you are a salt you are to be salt, even in your healthy and strong marriages, in your well-mannered and obedient children, in your patient attitude, in your joy, even when things go wrong, in your determination to keep going, despite what you're facing. That will make you an influence for good in this earth. It will help restrain evil, for you are the salt of the earth. Well, thirdly, you are the light of the world. You are to bring the truth. You are to bring truth into this world by being the light of the world. John Stott says the function of salt is largely negative. It prevents decay. The function of light is positive. It illumines the darkness. 
And therefore, Jesus is teaching this world is in darkness. This world prides itself in its massive accomplishments that it believes it achieves without God. The world believes itself to be enlightened. It looks down on religion as superstitious darkness, that Christians are ignorant people who are following rules and rituals to achieve blessings. But man is so completely surrounded by moral darkness that he can, immoral darkness, that he cannot see just how foolish he is. He calls good evil and evil good. And so man needs to see the light to set him straight. And no wonder Paul says in Ephesians 5, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. You are to walk as children of light, exposing darkness. And this idea of light in the darkness of this world is found in many Old Testament prophecies of Israel being a light in the darkness. Isaiah 49, I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. And so as God's people, you are to be light. You are to be the city on a hill that cannot be hidden. That was Jerusalem when it was lit up. It was seen for many miles. It pointed people to where God is and where he is to be worshiped. And so you are to be a light in this world, pointing people to Christ. Now too often we are afraid of the darkness in this world. Scrivener helpfully says we might feel intimidated by the darkness, but we should know this. Light and darkness are not equal opposites. Darkness is not a thing. It's the lack of a thing. Light drives out darkness. Darkness cannot drive out light. Where light is, the darkness must flee. The light will always win in the end. You are to be light. You are to bring truth into people's lives to instruct them. Well, I wonder if any of our IU students know the motto of IU. Nothing to say. Testing them. What about professors? <laughs> okay, well, I don't know the Latin, but in English it's light and truth, I believe. And it's a great motto. If only IU would hold to it. But it should also be our motto. You are to be light and truth. You are to be light in the darkness. You are to be a guide. Just think of the lighthouses I mentioned earlier. These buildings were integral for shipping, especially when navigation tools were not as advanced as today. They saved many lives. They saved much money. And likewise, you should operate in the same way. If you ever have to walk in complete darkness, you know just how difficult it is. You appreciate the light of a torch to guide you before you're inching slowly forward, afraid of what or who might be in front of you. With a light, you can walk with speed and confidence. And so you are to be a light in this darkness. You are to be a guide in this dark world, pointing people on the right way to go. That Jesus is the way. That through him, and only through him, is their salvation. Any other way, 
you are going to be destroyed on the rocks. You're going to be lost in the darkness. God is calling you, his people, to be light. My God, in the past, he has used other means. When God, when God spoke to the shepherds, he used angels, a heavenly host, to bring the announcement of Christ's birth. In Paul's conversion, we see a bright light from heaven on the, on, to Paul on his way to Damascus. God could have used those ways, but instead he has chosen you, his people, to be light and to tell this world about his great salvation. And so your testimony of Christ's work in your life, it is powerful. It is a light in the darkness. This is the good work that you are to do. Well, fourthly, beware of the temptation not to fulfill your calling. So we see in both scenarios what happens when Christians are not behaving as salt of the earth or light of the world. Christ gives us a warning when we are not true to who we are. Salt is a very stable compound, but it can be diluted. And when that happens, salt becomes useless. Jesus says it should be thrown out, it should be trampled on, it should become part of the path. And that is the danger for us as Christians. You become diluted by this world. And the result is you are no different from this world. You take on the same values as this world. You behave in the same way. You do not preserve, if anything, you hasten the decay in this world. And this is a real danger. We see many Christians, many historic denominations, wanting to gain acceptance by the world, and so they accept the world's values, and they even trumpet them. But what's happened to these churches? What's happened to these Christians? They are dying. They're not being an influence for good in this world. They serve as a warning to us. Watch out that you are not contaminated by this world. The other danger is that of being a light in this world and yet hiding your light. And Jesus gives this comical, even ridiculous example of hiding a light under a basket. You wouldn't think of doing that. And you instead, you put a light up on a stand. You put it in a prominent place. And we do that today. The lights are on the ceilings. We put lights on top of shelves or stands to make the most of the light that it produces. Likewise, your light in the world, the world is in darkness, you are to let your light shine. So there's no such thing as a day off. There's no dimmer switch on the light that you shine. You have to take the opportunities that come your way to share the gospel by befriending those who are around you so you can then speak the truth into their lives. That's a challenge for us as a church Are we quick to hide away from our community? Or are we seeking to be light in the darkness? The way we hide is we hide the truth. We forget just how powerful God's word is. And so we neglect the preaching of God's word. And sadly, many churches have done that. The sermon is no longer the highlight of the service. Instead, it's been dumbed down, it's been shortened, it's been dropped altogether. Do not fall for the lie that it's having no effect. No, do not hide the truth. Instead, preach it. Point people to the truth of who Jesus is. So do not be put off by the darkness. 
Many have sought to extinguish the light. You can think of communism, think of Islam, even the new atheist movement, all failed in their attempts at putting out the light. No wonder Francis of Assisi supposedly said, all the darkness in the world cannot extinguish the light of a single candle. And some of you may be in really dark places. Maybe in your work there are no other believers. Or maybe in your school there are those who are against Christianity, and so they make your life hard. But the darker the place is, the more effective your light will be in shining. And so you are to continue by doing your good works. You are to continue living the Christian life so your light shines bright. And we see that ultimately this brings glory to our Father in heaven. Well, fifthly, notice the only way to be salt and light is to behold Christ, who is truly salt and truly light. In and of ourselves, we're not salt and light. In the Old Testament, we read of salt and light, and they're ultimately pointing to someone else. Leviticus 2, 13, every offering of, and every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. In 2 Chronicles 13, should you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the dominion over Israel to David forever, to him and his sons, by a covenant of salt. And so salt is associated with God's covenant to his people. In the Leviticus passage, we are reminded that God's people, Israel, they have this special covenant with God. He loves them. He cares for them. And they, in turn, have these certain privileges and obligations, primarily to obey God's word and so be different from the surrounding nations. In Second Chronicles passage, we see that this covenant was specifically applied to King David and that his line will be eternal. Well, we know that Israel did not keep the covenant. They did not preserve it. Instead of being an influence, they were contaminated by these other nations. And so it would take someone else to fulfill the covenant. Jesus Christ, he preserved the covenant so it is permanent. He is a king who fulfilled the covenant. He came into the world and was not contaminated by this world. He did not sin. Instead, he did restrain evil, evident in his removal of demons, pointing to how he would ultimately defeat evil by his death on the cross. And Jesus is not only salt preserving the covenant so that it's permanent, but he is the true light of the world. And so in the same way that Israel did not keep the covenant, it did not also fulfill its responsibility in being a light to the Gentiles. And so again, Jesus did what Israel could not do. And this too was prophesied by Isaiah, Isaiah 9. The people in, who walk in darkness have seen a great light, and Jesus is that great light. He speaks of this himself in John 8. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And so Jesus is our salvation, for only he is truth. The means of salvation that this world offers are lies. But Jesus is the truth. Only he will save us from the darkness of this world. And that's why our faith is to be in him. But in John 9, verse 5, 
Jesus says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Meaning that after Jesus left, we would carry on this task of being the light of the world. Not that the light is found in us, instead the light is found in Christ and we are united to him. And so the light lives in us by the Holy Spirit. The light of Christians is often equated to the light of the moon. The moon does not emit any light of its own. Instead, it reflects the light of the sun. And at times when it's full moon, the light of the moon is very bright. But that only happens when the moon is before the sun, absorbing its light, and so able to reflect it back. Well, we are mirrors of Christ, reflecting his light into this world. And therefore, you should behold Christ. Without Christ, your efforts of being salt and light will fade away. And if you sense that you're losing your saltiness, that your light is fading, you must come before him. Like Moses on Mount Sinai, after meeting with God, his face was glowing. And when you meet with Christ, you are reminded of the blessings that you know in him. And so you will be effective salt and effective light in this world. So you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world because Christ is both salt and light. And therefore, in him, you are preserving this world from sin and you're shining the light of truth into this world. Well, on the 16th of October, 1555, Bishops Ridley and Bishop Latimer were burned at the stake in Oxford, known as Oxford Martyrs. They were martyrs during the reign of Catholic Queen Mary, otherwise known as Bloody Mary. Uh, They would not accept the teaching that in the communion, the bread and the wine, they were transformed into the actual body and blood of Christ. And so they were tried for heresy, and the punishment was death. Latimer's final words are famous words where he says, or supposedly says, Be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as shall never be put out. These men did light a candle. They shone brightly the light of Christ. Mary was the one who would soon be extinguished and her death brought an end to the darkness of Catholicism coming back or coming into England at that time with the new queen, Queen Elizabeth, the Protestant queen. So remember who you are. You are salt of the earth. You are the light of the world because Christ is both salt and light. And therefore in him you are preserving this world from sin and you are shining the truth of Christ into this world. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, in this moral decline of this world and in the darkness of this world, you have called us to be salt and to be light. And Lord, this is not an easy calling. Too often we are tempted to be contaminated by this world. We are tempted to hide our light. And so, Lord, I pray you would give us boldness to be influenced for good. And ultimately, we know we can do this only through Jesus Christ, For only he is truly salt and truly light. And so we pray that we would be strengthened in him to be salt and light for you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.
Well, please turn in your psalm book to Psalm 89C. Eighty-nine C. The psalm reminds us to be in the light of Christ, and in doing so, we will be blessed. We will be light in the darkness. Let's stand and sing Psalm eighty-nine C.